Welcome to the Ots and Audibles podcast, the day before the day. We are officially at Friday, which means, Eric, this podcast, it, it's our final preview. It's our final uh, discussion point of this football game. And, and who knows, maybe you are listening to this on your way down from Portland to Eugene to watch this football game Saturday night. We do have people that do that. 7.30 kickoff. Saturday night, October 26th at Autzen Stadium. ESPN's going to be on the broadcast. Steve Levy, Brian Greasy will be on the play-by-play and, and analysts. Todd McShay will be here for a field analyst role. Molly McGrath is the sideline reporter. So ESPN bringing one of their bigger crews. Uh, and it's not going to surprise me one bit, Eric, if next week or in two weeks, uh, all of a sudden there's going to be some ESPN NFL draft hype about Oregon with Todd McShay uh, in Eugene to get a good glimpse of this football team. I was going to say, having McShay here, and for, I'm sure most listening are familiar, but he's he's the, the draft guru along with Mel Kuyper um, for ESPN. And his presence, he'll get a chance first, you know, firsthand to see hopefully an Oregon team that comes out and, and finally beats Washington State. And this is a team with, I think, a lot of good NFL Prospects. I'm sure Penny Sewell is somebody everybody wants to see in McShay in particular. And then, of course, Justin Harbert and, unfortunately, Jacob Breland's hurt. But all the offensive linemen, some of these uh, other guys in the secondary for Oregon, I'm sure, are, are, are interesting. And, you know, you talk about Javon Holland and Graham and Lenore and uh, maybe even a picket. But, you know, all those guys are probably guys people are interested to see. So, yeah, absolutely. Having ESPN's draft guy in town never hurts in terms of getting the right eyes on these guys as well as, and we should say, Oregon now, every single Pac-12 game has been on one of the major networks, which has yep. not always been the case. There has not been a Pac-12 network game. And frankly, looking down the schedule, the only one that maybe that takes place is that Arizona game in a couple of weeks, because that's probably going to be kind of a clunker um, in terms of the, the perception of that game. Uh, Arizona's kind of fallen off after starting 2-0 and in Pac-12 play. I think we talked about a couple weeks ago, that could actually be a surprisingly good game. It doesn't have that same luster right now, but... Oregon's going to be in front of a lot of eyes this year, and I think that's the way to elevate this program and, and hopefully change some perspective kind of on what this program is because it is, like we've said a number of times in this podcast, a totally different style of play in terms of they're very defensive-oriented, they're physical, they're tough at the line of scrimmage. That's not what people on the East Coast who maybe just see Oregon as, you know, 6-1 right now, they probably think, oh, they're just a throw the ball down the field or run right. the ball kind of an offense. Nope, this is a team that is based on defense, and the more people you can see watching them, uh, hopefully that continues to kind of convey that to the national audience. I should know, and I said this on Twitter uh, a couple weeks ago, but I think it was after Oregon's win against California is when I said it. But uh, expect Oregon to be on primetime or later um, for most of the season. And it was a refreshing sense to, to see a 12:30 kickoff last week up in Seattle. But I don't think that's going to be the norm the rest of the way because we have a 7.30 kick this weekend against Washington State at home. Uh, and then there's a 5 p.m. kick next week at USC. Uh, I, I think the Arizona game, um, I just have this feeling that Oregon is going to be uh, the kind of the, 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 the team that the networks are going to, are going to pick for their late night game, whether that's Fox or ESPN, uh, they all are going to have some kind of um, programming that they're going to need to fill, and they want to have a marquee team in there. And so I think the Arizona game, even if you know Arizona loses this week uh, at Stanford and goes into next week at four and four, um, I think that's going to be a seven thirty game, you know, a seven o'clock game, whether it's ESPN or whether it's FS1 or Fox or, or what have you. I just think Oregon's a big name. They're a brand name. Networks are going to want to have a, a top 10 team playing in the later part of the schedule if they can, and Oregon's going to fit that bold. And I think the Arizona State game absolutely is going to be right. uh, a, a, a prime time, 5 o'clock, 4.30, 7 o'clock type of a of a game, and then you get to Oregon State, which is almost always going to be on at five o'clock when it's in Eugene, uh, or a seven o'clock game, even seven thirty once. So if, if you're a Duck fan, I, I I know you hate it, but get ready for some night games the rest of the way. 
And we should mention it's second place in the Pac-12 North, Oregon State, which feels yeah. bizarre to say and probably isn't something I'm anticipating we'll be saying much longer, although they have the week off, so they won't lose in the loss column this week. But uh, I know this is an Oregon po- podcast, but I guess sort of a tip of the cap to Oregon State for I think it's their second the second time since 2015 or 16 that they've had two wins in Pac-12 play. So uh, they might they might still be here because. Washington is off as well this week. Right. Stanford has to play Arizona. And with Stanford's injuries at quarterback and whatnot, like, I, I'm not going to say that's an automatic win. Vegas says it as a pick em. Vegas yes. has it as a pick em right now because of the quarterback situation. That is very, very close. Anyway, that's going to be a, a really close game. California has to go to Utah, and I think that's going to be an automatic loss. Agreed. And then Washington State. And so if, if Oregon takes care of the Cougars, Cal loses – uh, at Utah and Arizona somehow can can go into Stanford and win. Oregon State will, will be at uh, in, in first in second place uh, for another week, and they play Arizona the week after. And that, I think that's a you know, a winnable game. So Cougar, you know, the Beavers might actually, you know, they might actually have some games where they're still in the in the upper echelon of the conference. Now they're not going to catch Oregon. I think that's very clear. No. But let's let's get to. This game on hand. Uh, Oregon's off to its 4-0 start in Pac-12 play for the first time since 2013. Uh, they're riding a six-game win streak, and they will look to snap a four-game skid against the Cougars. The Ducks are just 29-9 all-time at home in Pac-12 action since 2011, but they've dropped two straight in odds to Washington State. So, obviously, there's going to be some some game, you know, some games within the game here for, for Oregon because they want to win this game. Uh, they're off to their first 4-0 start since uh, in the Pac-12, and it's the uh, first time that's happened in the Pac-12 since 2017. Uh, and Oregon has also won nine of their last ten games, including six consecutive Pac-12 games uh, dating back to last season. So Oregon is, I think, the team right now in the Pac-12. Like they have the way they've played. Uh, to, to finish the season last year, the way they've played to open the season this year, they are the team right now in the Pac-12. They are the top dog. Uh, and, and this week, in getting you ready for the game, a couple major storylines that happened throughout the week, and maybe the most interesting, surprising, shocking one was that senior receiver Brendan Schooler has elected to transfer out of the football program uh, and is going to redshirt and grad transfer and play his senior season somewhere else. Or I guess he still has the option of coming back, but yeah. uh, he was not at practice on Tuesday. He was not at practice on Wednesday. Uh, I, last time I checked, you know, he was not at practice on Thursday. So I, I think it's safe to say he's at least not with the team this week. And it's probably going to be that way the rest of the year where he's, he's not with the team and just, Overall, just something I was not expecting to have to talk about uh, on this podcast and write about on the site on DuckTerritory.com. I would be shocked if a player – obviously, the door is not, like, completely closed. He's still enrolled at Oregon. I'm guessing he's going to f- conclude the semester at Oregon uh, and, and then look to transfer. Actually, I, I don't know how that all plays out. Maybe he won't, but um, I don't know where he's at in terms of his, his graduate degree, in terms of the education aspect, because he is looking to grad transfer to play immediately. Uh, maybe he has his degree. I don't actually know that. Maybe I should know that, but I don't. But uh, I just think it's unlikely he ends up pl- ever playing again for Oregon. After you put yourself in the portal at the midway point of the season, um, I don't think he will come back and try to finish the season. I think he's kind of made that decision. And it's uh, like we've said, I think, on Thursday's show when we kind of were first reacting to it, um, it's it's a shocker. It's a bummer in terms of this is a guy who was a huge part of this program getting back to where it is now um, in terms of just he was a hardworking player that grinded it out for four straight seasons, you know, played a ton of football, was never really a, a star player, but was an all-conference guy on special teams and was one of those kind of maybe slightly underrated, maybe slightly overrated. It's kind of hard to kind of get a great feel on kind of his contributions, but he was certainly somebody that was important to this program. And, and a loss like that at this point in the season, especially with what Oregon has done on the field, was surprising, was probably a, a little disappointing if you're an Oregon fan and you're just kind of looking at it selfishly. You'd love to have all these guys with the team, but it is what it is. And, and like Mario Cristobal said on Wednesday, you have to move on. You have to move on, and that's where Oregon's at. And you know, you can't sit here and talk 
too much about it. I think because the, the next step is, is Washington State. And if you get caught up in, in the distractions, you know, I'm not sure if you want to call it a distraction. It's probably unfair to, to Brendan because that's not obviously his intention, but you get caught up in a distraction like that, that can cost you some football games. So I think I'm sure Oregon is, is trying to put it behind them and move on. I'm sure there were some players on the team that were just as shocked as, as we, we were when we learned the news on, uh, on right. Tuesday. So, uh, it's a tough spot. It's a, it's an interesting situation. Not something I think any of us really expected to be talking about. Like you said, at the same time, Oregon has the players that receiver that they're certainly capable of, of making up for his departure. And I think obviously that's part of why he left because he saw that too, that there were enough guys that were ahead of him on the depth chart who were, you know, taking some snaps away from him. And, and you know, you only get one senior season and, Nothing is guaranteed in terms of professional football, and I'm sure, you can tell Schooler's a guy who loves playing the game. I'm sure he's thinking, man, I'm not going to make the most out of my last year. I want to make the most out of what could be my last year playing football, uh, and he's chosen to do that. And who knows, maybe he'll end up at Arizona where his brother Colin is a star linebacker. That's kind of a hypothetical, but it would, it would make some sense, certainly. I, I, I have – no issue with him doing this either. And I think, you know, players for the most part, they need to have more options in their corner. Now, I 100% also understand, um, while Chris Ball never came out and, and said he was frustrated or upset or just, you know, disappointed, he, he came out and said, like, they support his decision and that they have to move on because they have a game to play. Um, I also understand that deep down there probably is some, you know, some frustration because this was a all packed full player on both sides of the football. Um, uh, for special teams, I should say two years in a row. Uh, and he was a guy that going into the year was a starter at the receiver position. And while he hasn't had much of an impact statistically on the football field this season, um, it's at a position where there's not a lot of depth. And I think that's the, the part where for Oregon's standpoint, it hurts them is that now you've just taken off one of their better experienced players in a position where they can't really have a ton of injuries. And that opens the door now where God forbid Juwan Johnson gets hurt again or Jalen red Jalen red gets hurt again, or I want to say you know, you know, some of that nature gets hurt and now that injury becomes even bigger because there's less bodies to, to rotate. And so that's going to be the impact there. Um, where does Oregon go from here without Brendan Schooler? I think we've already seen kind of Micah Pittman, you know, his role increase more and more. I, I, it's not going to surprise me, Eric, that Juwan Johnson's production and, uh, frequency of being on the field goes up the next couple of weeks. Especially after the bye week. Um, Crystal Ball noted it's, you know, it is a guy coming back from injury and there's going to be rust. And I think we've seen some of that, but it's not going to surprise me a little bit if we, if we see him be the guy that maybe gets some of the schoolers reps. Yeah, he makes sense. Just the guys on the outside in general. Uh, Brian Addison, schooler, maybe Josh Delgado. Maybe those are the beneficiaries. Pittman has played a little in the slot as well as on the outside. Johnny Johnson, I think, is already going to get a ton of reps. He's proven to be an extremely reliable part of the offense. But yeah, I would, I would say, yeah, between Joan Johnson, Brian Addison, and, and maybe like a Josh Delgado, those are probably the big beneficiaries in terms of a rep perspective. And frankly, I don't know if Schooler's involvement or lack of involvement really impacted things too much for Joan Johnson or Brian Addison. Those guys still played quite a bit, but maybe Delgado's a guy who sees a little bit more of an uptick in playing time. And we should mention that it sounds like Daywood Davis is, is back playing defensive back, um, for Oregon based upon what Cristobal said yesterday. So that's a guy who, Maybe if there is an injury, they could move him back over, you know, if that happens. I like think that's kind of worst case. You'd hate to move a guy back and forth between sides of the football three times over the season. Right. But sometimes like that has to happen. For the most part, Oregon's healthy. I think that's um, a big standing point for this football team going into the week. You know, obviously schooler's gone now, but I think there were some concerns like, what is going to happen with Diamade Lenore at cornerback after the Washington game? He didn't play in the second half. What's the standing with um, C.J. Burdell? Because he did not play. I don't think he played in the, in the second quarter, did he? Uh, he played. I think he didn't he play a little bit in the second quarter, and then he came out 
I think on like the second drive of the second that, quarter. That might be right. I yeah. might be just confused on the, the quarters, but I know he didn't play in the second half. Right. Uh, against Washington and, you know, Oregon leaned on Cyrus to be Uh, but both of those guys, Cristobal noted, have had limited reps in practice, uh, but they are cleared to play. And then also, um, Oregon is, Certainly going to get Troy Dye back as well, and he's another guy that Cristobal noted. Hey, they're they're being very cautious with it, you know, limiting his reps because he has the broken thumb. He broke it in the in the Washington game, and then broke the cast that they put on it. So he had to have a second cast used uh, in the football game against Washington. But he should be back as well. Uh, just to, the Verdell thing, I just looked it up. He, he was on the field during Oregon's last scoring drive of the second, of the first half. Uh, he actually had a two yard run that set up the touchdown pass to Jalen Red. So yeah, he was, he was out there for, uh, at least most of the first half before, before going down with injury. And like you said, we'll be back. So yeah, in terms of injury news, it's been pretty good news for a couple weeks now. And I'm knocking on wood as loud as possible. So hopefully people on the podcast can hear that I did that just for, the sake of uh, hopefully not jinxing it, but from an injury perspective, Oregon has been they've got guys out for the season. That's always really awful, especially a guy like Breland and, and Cumberlander who are, were big contributors. But all, all the guys that were, uh, you know, there haven't really been any big in-game injuries the last couple of weeks. These things that have cost, cost people the season, and that's that's a positive thing, especially in a physical game like the one in, in Seattle, where, gosh, you just don't know. You could you could be in a spot here where, where a guy could because of the physicality, get really digged up pretty good. So to come out of that largely unscathed, obviously guys have a ton of nicks and bruises here, but nobody out for the game against uh, Washington State that we weren't already expecting to be out for the game. That's a that's a big positive, certainly. And you want to come into a game like this, especially with Lenore. Like, right. how much Washington State's going to throw the football? If you don't have your best or one of your best two cover guys, that's potentially really, really significant. Honestly, like, the secondary is the one spot right now, going against Washington State in particular, where you really couldn't stomach too much injury issues and uh Lenora is a guy who you, you don't want to have out not on the field period because I think he's probably one of the top three or four guys on the defense but you certainly would be really really hard pressed to have him not available against a team like Washington State he's going to throw the ball upwards of 50 or 60 times on Saturday but uh, this week I think a, a lot of the discussion has obviously been around Washington and the win that that brought to the table for Oregon, but also um, how is Oregon going to handle the emotional ride of winning that football game and then coming back and having to play a Cougar team, which they did this last year and they failed miserably. Like they went out and, you know, claimed a huge win in walk-off fashion last year against the Huskies. And then went north to Washington State and walked into a buzzsaw. You know, yep. game day was there. Uh, Pullman was fired up for, on the Palouse for, for that. You know, I think the Cougars were back in the top 25 and they got blown out. They had, they, you know, or the first series we knew Oregon had no chance in you know, the way that that game was played. And so I think the second half of this week with the players and the coaches has been, how do you avoid that? And for the most part, I like what I've heard from, from the team and, and from the coaching staff of what they've they've said is is you know they, they immediately addressed that after the Washington game. You know, on their walk back to the locker room it was enjoy this moment but also understand that there's another game to be played in seven days and if we if we don't get over this win quickly it's all for nothing. I think the thing that can be a benefit of games like last year's game at Washington State. And if there is a benefit, there's obviously not one in the short term last year. That was a devastating loss and a pretty demoralizing one in terms of completely curbing the momentum they built after beating Washington. But I think the long-term benefit for a game like that is it sticks in the back of your head. And yeah. coaches can can use that game this week after, I mean, the, the schedule, it's weird the schedule works out this way where it's back-to-back years where you play Washington and then Washington State in consecutive seasons. But I think it works out perfectly this year for Oregon in that they have no excuse for sleeping on Washington State. They have no excuse because they did it last year and it cost them. And, you know, you got to learn from that. You, you, you know, uh, and this team I don't think has much of an excuse if they come out and play sloppy or don't come out with their A game right away because they know what Washington State can do. They did it last year. And, and, and the other big thing in terms of getting everyone's head on straight, I think we've said this a couple times this week, is just 
Washington State's owned this rivalry, you know, this head-to-head right. series the last four years. And if you're an Oregon player, we talked to a number of guys, and, and most of them, I don't want to say they diminished it, but most of them said, you know, it's just another year, and I think we're just kind of saying we're, we're you know, we've obviously got some stuff to prove, but um, I can't. I have to think that's something that in the locker room everyone's kind of going like, we can't lose to Washington State five straight Again, years. Again, right? <laughs> five straight. I mean, that's one of those things. And I wrote about it earlier in the week about, you know, is this the year Oregon, you know, finds a solution for its Washington State problem? But, like, in 2010, the start of this decade, if you were to tell anybody that Washington State was going to win four or five straight in the series, you'd be like, are you crazy? Like, what are you talking about? Because the start of the decade, Oregon was, you know, contending for championships and national championships, Pac-12 championships, uh, you know, all of those things. And Washington State was, like, dead last in the Pac-12 the first couple of seasons there. I think in 2010, Oregon obviously won, I think, 12 went 12 and 1 that season. I think Washington State went 2 and 10. You know what I mean? Like, so, I mean, it's it's weird how this rivalry has sort of shifted. So if you're an Oregon player and you've got, obviously, a ton of pride and you're riding, again, a ton of momentum, you have to look at this game and go, like, this can't be something that is a repeat of a year ago. And, and I'm pretty confident, and we'll get to the score predictions and all the bold predictions at the end of the show, but I'm coming into this week feeling pretty good about where this team's head has to be. I'm feeling pretty good about the fact that I think Oregon has the better players, that Oregon maybe has the advantage even when Washington State is throwing the football just because Oregon State's secondary is really good, although I think they're going to be tested. Um, so I don't know. I think there's a lot of things that, that go in that positive column, but uh, there's also the fact that Oregon has lost four straight to Washington State, and maybe Washington State just has kind of figured out Oregon's number, and maybe this is a thing where just like you know the, the parallel in basketball is Oregon can never beat Colorado at Colorado. You know, like Dana Ullman's never done that, even with, with some really good teams, the teams that go to the Final Four and Colorado doesn't even make the tournament that year, and yet when they get to that game in Boulder, Oregon can't win. So maybe there's just this weird roadblock that Oregon can't get over on football too with Washington State, but I think my, my, my sense is that this year's a different year, this is a different Oregon team, and they just seem a little bit differently built, especially kind of mentally. We should note that this is going to be a clash of, you know, arguably the best offense in the Pac-12 in Washington State. You know, they lead the conference in yards per game, 532.7 yards per game. They lead the conference in yards per play at 7.66. They lead the conference in scoring at 42 points per game, 42.7 to be exact. Uh, In terms of touchdowns scored this season, they're first in the conference at 38. Uh, Obviously, they're not going to be a good rushing team. You know, they are the lowest in the Pac-12, uh, at 92 yards per carry, but, but they average the highest total per carry average in, in the season, on the season at 5.41 yards per, per rushing attempt. They have the best rushing average per carry in the Pac-12. It's just, they don't do it very much. They run the ball 17 times and obviously, because they don't run the ball so much, they do lead the conference in throwing uh, and passing yards with 440 yards. I mean, it's an astronomical number. There's not another. The, the, the next closest team is Arizona, and they average 291 yards passing per game. So Washington State's over almost 150 yards more than anybody else uh, in in the conference uh, this season. Now, on the flip side. Oregon's defense is arguably one of the best two in the league. They are second in the conference in yards per game uh, and yards per play allowed. They're first at 4.2 uh, scoring points per game. They are second uh, at 83 total points allowed, 11.9 points uh, per game. Rushing defense, Oregon is third in the conference uh, and a per game average and they're third in the conference and an, a carry average and then passing defense. This is where it's going to get really interesting. It's, you know, a rock between a hard place here. Oregon's defense is the best in the conference against the pass. They average just 178.6 yards. They've intercepted their opponents 12 times this season. Uh, no other team has received 10 or more interceptions. Quarterback rating against Oregon is a 99, uh, Yards per attempt is 5.4. So this is going to be really strength on strength. Oregon's defense, they're, they're best at the, at stopping the pass and Washington State's offense, they are the best in throwing the football. And it's literally going to be 
which team flinches and, and which team breaks. Absolutely. And, and I think Thomas Graham did a really good job on Wednesday of kind of discussing what makes Washington State so challenging. And he says it's really just because Leach likes to get his guys out in space and it's a one-on-one matchup between the offensive player and the defensive player. And so it's going to come down to, I think, a lot of open field tackling. And that's been a strength for Oregon this year for most of the season. I know there have been some games uh, where you go back and, and you watch it, and then there were some bad moments against Washington. There were two of those touchdowns that Easton had where a guy breaks a tackle on, on, a, on a play and scores. Um, and, and those are situations where obviously the, the open field tackling wasn't great. And honestly, the open field tackling wasn't great on – Ahmed's touchdown for Washington in the first drive. I think Troy Dye had a pretty good look at him and kind of whiffed. Um, and we saw similar things from, I think it was McKinley and DJ James on other touchdowns in the game. So, uh, you can't, you have to learn from those mistakes. You have to perform at a higher, at a high level in open space, which I think these guys are pretty good at. I mean, I, there aren't a lot of guys on this defense where you go, man, they just are poor tacklers. And that's again, credit to Andy Avalos, but they're going to be challenged without question. And it's not, going to be a thing where they're challenged once or twice a drive they're going to be challenged every single snap of every single drive so they've got to be ready for the for the test and I think that's that's where Washington State can get you is that they can wear you down you know it's a lot to ask especially the defensive backs to to make plays in the open field to to cover you know 50 to 60 times a game and it only takes a couple of blown coverages here or a mistake here or there and suddenly Washington State's up the field And, and they've got those playmakers uh, in the open field that can do that. So uh, that's where the challenges are going to be, in my opinion, is is can Graham, Lenore, Wright, McKinley, Holland, Pickett, Breeze, all these defensive backs, even some linebackers are going to be covering, you know, in the open space too, you know, guys like Die and New and uh, Isaac Slade. Those are going to be guys that are going to be challenged in terms of the passing uh, of just making tackles and being consistent presences there. Because if you miss a couple of those, Washington State moves it right down the field and, Max Borgie, you know, that's the guy in particular that I think you have to be aware of because he is extremely difficult to bring down. And if they put him in a one-on-one situation with an Oregon defender, that's going to be one of the bigger challenges of the season. And maybe that's surprising if you haven't really seen Washington State much this season. You're going like, you're talking about a running back at Washington State's going to beat right. Oregon. That's good. But the fact of the matter is, and I think Jackson Gardner yesterday on, on the show did a really good job of kind of talking about it, it that's that's probably their best offensive player, he says. And yep. you got to be aware of him, and it's a little bit different because, like we said, Washington State typically isn't known for its running backs, but they do a really good job of, and this is something Andy Avalo said on Wednesday, they do a really good job of getting him the ball, not just on handoffs, but also in the screen game and in, 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 uh, in shovel passes. And then just as if there's nobody open, uh, Gordon's kind of dump-off guy. So you got to be aware of him. You want to make sure that you can kind of limit his – Productivity. I think that's one of the big keys in this game is just not allowing him to to go off and have a big statistical game and, and beat you up and down the field because he's he's kind of the guy to be aware of. I think you should note that Max Borgi he has scored a touchdown in every game but one this season, and the one time he did not score came in their worst offensive performance of the season, a 38-13 loss at Utah uh, earlier. This season, I think, uh, September 28th. Um, you are 100% right. You stop Max Borgie at running back. I think you stop this Cougar team. He is the machine that drives this boat for, for Washington State. And, uh, he does everything. I mean, he, against Colorado last week, 12 carries, 105 yards and a touchdown. And he had a 47 yard touchdown run. So he's got the big play explosion ability. He also had nine catches for 57 yards and a touchdown. Uh, earlier this season, uh, against Utah, he had nine catches for 70 yards. Against UCLA, he had two catches for 80 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he's had three games this season where he's gone over 100 yards rushing. Like I said, last week against Colorado, he did it against UCLA for 15 carries, 123 yards. He had a 56-yard touchdown run. Uh, he also did it week one against New Mexico State when he had 10 carries for 128 and he had a 54-yard touchdown run. I mean, this is a big play running back. I mean, I, I, I'm pretty sure he's got better runs uh, than than Oregon's running backs in terms of explosion. His numbers are better than than Oregon's running backs uh, uh, in the explosion play category of 20 yards or more, 15 yards or more. So he's the big play guy that you have to stop if, if you're Oregon and you want to contain 
this Washington State Cougar offense. Now, I don't think Anthony Gordon is in the exact same vein as a Lou Falk or as a Gardner Minshew last season, but he's still a really good quarterback. He's completing almost 71% of his passes. He's thrown 29 touchdowns. Now, I do think where maybe a, a, a key for Oregon is is going to be getting him to kind of be that Maverick-type quarterback, that gunslinger mentality, because he does like to take a couple risks here and there. Uh, he has thrown seven interceptions this season, I think, and a couple of them have come uh, in some big games for, for Washington State this year, and, and it's not necessarily going to blame him for those losses, but he threw... He threw uh, one against Houston, two against UCLA, two against Utah, and then one this past weekend against Washington against Colorado. Um, getting to him and, and forcing him to maybe improvise and throw on the run and it kind of throw under pressure is going to be critical for Oregon uh, because if if you can do that, the likelihood the Cougars are going to make a mistake eventually. And I think the funny thing with Gordon is you look at the stats this season and they're just eye-popping. He's got over 400 yards in all but two of his games. And the one team that really, quote-unquote, shut him down was Utah. And he still completed 62% of his passes for 250 yards a touchdown. He did have two picks in that game. But um, when you're talking about the worst game of the season being a game where you complete 60% of your passes, throw for 250 yards and, and throw a touchdown, like that would be... Not one of Justin Herbert's better games, but it wouldn't be Justin Herbert's worst game of the year. Arguably, I guess the interceptions would make it, you know, significant since Herbert only threw on one all season. But uh, he has been very consistent this season, and I think um, Utah obviously figured some stuff out there. They only allowed 13 points. They didn't allow anything over the top. Yeah, and 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 I think that's what Oregon's going to do. Yeah, you look at the the, just the the long throwing plays from each of his game games. You only had the longest pass play in that game was 21 yards against Utah. Every other game he's had at least one completion over 35. So um, majority that, of his stuff that game was was the short stuff and Utah basically took the approach of let's die by a thousand cuts because we don't think he got a thousand cuts in you. Yeah. And I think that's kind of what Oregon will try to do. And I think, you know, if, if Oregon's defense I think I think Oregon's secondary is better than Utah's secondary based upon what I've seen and part of that is because you saw Utah get obliterated pretty good by USC, and maybe I'm just that game's just stuck in my head. But uh, I, I think Oregon's secondary is as good, or is capable at least of being as good as Utah's is, and I, I think there's a chance for them to kind of replicate those numbers. I think another key will be it's hard because, like we've said, they get the ball out so quickly. But if Oregon can get some pressure on on Gordon and and, and hurt his throws and maybe force him into some tough decisions, that's going to be critical, obviously, and then. Oregon's guys in the secondary need to cover well because if they can cover well, that gives the defensive linemen and the linebackers and the guys, you know, trying to get to Gordon the opportunity, at least the time to do so. And, and so I think it's critical to, to cover well in space and then also to obviously, um, to, if that does take place, to get after Gordon and make his life difficult because he hasn't been sacked that many times this season, only seven times, uh, which is crazy considering he's thrown the ball 347 times. It's like one sack every 50 attempts. So uh, difficult for teams to get after him. Oregon does have the best pass rush in the Pac-12. Um, they didn't get to uh, Jacob Easton very much last week, but I think there's the capability at least of, of trying to do something this week against Gordon, uh, and hopefully that can be a game changer as well. We should note, Jackson Gardner told us earlier this week, um, Washington State is getting back kind of their safety valve in the receiving core. That's Brandon Arcanando, um, a guy that used to be a walk-on at, at Washington State and did not have a catch all of last season during the 2018 football season. And this year has exploded onto the year with 30 catches, 461 yards, two touchdowns. He did not play uh, against Utah, and he did not play against Arizona State, and those are two games that they lost. He got hurt against uh, UCLA. Uh, but he he came back against Colorado this past weekend, had five catches, 109, 109 yards, and a touchdown. And you know, early on, you look at his numbers: six catches in week one, eight catches for 127. Week two against Houston, he had nine catches for 115. Uh, that's one guy that to make note of. And then also, I just want to throw out this guy: you might see him in the NFL because he has the physical makeup to do it, and he's going to be the matchup, I think, to watch. Desmond Patton, 
uh, six foot four, 230 pound wide receiver. Big dude. He is a big dude. And who Oregon throws on him to match up against him, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, he, he, he has the size to be a mismatch. He's got, you know, five touchdowns on the air, 481 yards on 31 catches. So he's their big play guy. He averages 15 yards a catch. Uh, he's been their big play guy the last couple of seasons and, you know, that's going to be the one where for me it's, if they're going to beat, if, if Washington State beats Oregon, it's because, uh, Arcanando and, and Patton, they, they have big games. It's a lot of guys to try to stop. Um, this is a Washington State offense, which just always seems to have a variety of guys and Gordon does a good job of mixing it up. So, you know, if you stop one or two of those guys, there's a couple other guys always available, but I agree in terms of, those are guys to be aware of. Borgie's also a, a player that I, I think you'd be remiss to, to not mention. He's he's very impressive, and again, as a sophomore, I think is going to be one of those guys that's just going to continue to be a nuisance for Pac-12 defenses yep. for a while here because of how well Leach uses guys. And it's one of those things where, like, Washington State doesn't recruit at the same level of or- as Oregon does, and the Pac-12 should be very relieved about that because if <laughs> if, if you gave Mike Leach some of the Skill talent that Oregon has and USC has. USC, I mean, they run the same offense. If you, yeah, if you, if you just put Mike Leach at USC, and I think if you're an Oregon fan, you hope that doesn't happen at the off, and at the end of the offseason, I don't think it ever will happen, but you would be looking at like an absolute juggernaut, and it would be terrifying trying to slow that offense down with, with the, how aggressive he is throwing the football, uh, and, and the guys they have at skill. That would be just absolutely devastating. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. You're listening to the Odds and Audibles podcast. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scofield is with me. And now, uh, Eric, we are at the point where we make our bold predictions. Uh, I've got five. You've got five. I will start things off for this football game. Justin Herbert's streak of 35 straight games with a touchdown improves to 36. And in the process, he also connects on a touchdown pass with a 24th different receiver, or I should say target, in his career. I think we see someone new this season catch a touchdown pass. That likely falls on the hands of Josh Delgado, Juwan Johnson, C.J. Verdell, or Patrick Herbert. Uh, the first three are the, the main guys that play that have not caught a touchdown pass, but coaches have also said that Herbert might be a guy that, that gets onto the football field as the season progresses. So I'm going to throw him in there as well. So I think one of those four players will catch a touchdown pass. And then some some bonus points, Jalen Red, I should say Jalen Red scores a touchdown this game for the seventh straight football game uh, this year. I got a, a passing game-related one. And, and honestly, a lot of my predictions are in the run game because Washington State has a very poor defense statistically, uh, especially against the run. But – I think Justin Herbert is going to connect on his longest pass of the season. Currently, that's a 66-yard touchdown he had to Jacob Breland against Nevada. Haven't been that many passes. Actually, that's the only pass over uh, 50 yards all season was that pass. Washington State is last in the Pac-12 in explosion plays over 50 yards in the past. They've allowed five passes over 50 yards and two over 80. I think Oregon connects on a big, long pass from Herbert to, I don't know, I'm not even going to predict who it's going to be. <laughs> but it's gonna it's gonna be 67 or yards longer. I'll put it that way. That's where my confidence level is at because I just think this is not a very good Washington State defense, and that's something that we spoke with Jackson Gardner about a lot on Thursday's show. Of just there's some issues there. You know, they had their defensive coordinator basically resign midseason. That's a sign of a, a defense that's not playing very well. And obviously they've got a new guy leading the show there, and I'm sure they're happy with some kind of a new new energy there, but this is a defense I think Oregon can really take advantage of, and I think we're going to see Herbert hit somebody on a, on a long pass play, and it's going to be the longest of the season. You and I are kind of in the, in the same vein here of thought process. Um, Justin Herbert hasn't had a game this season where he's thrown for over 350 yards, and I think we see that happen Saturday night against Washington State. It would be just the third time in his career for him to do that. Think about that. I mean, that that's wild. Uh, the most recent game for Oregon and for Herbert came back in 2017 against Nebraska at home when he threw for 365 and three touchdowns. His career high is 489 and four touchdowns against Arizona State as a freshman in 2016. Uh, another home game, by the way. Uh, so I, I think he's going to go over 350. 
I do not know. I'm not there yet to say he's going to hit the career high number of 489. A lot. But it's going to be one of his best passing games statistically in his Oregon career. See, I think we differ a little bit here because I think Oregon is going to want to run the football a lot. Oh, just I, wait. Just oh, wait. You, oh, you, you think Oregon's going to have like a, a thousand yards of total offense? Yeah. Apparently, uh, <laughs> I think I think they're going to have the most rushing yards they've had all season. Currently, 252 yards against Colorado is the season high. I think they're going to get they're going to eclipse that number. I think this is a game where I've already said Herbert's going to have a long passing touchdown. I don't necessarily think that this is going to be like a huge Herbert game because I think sort of like the Washington game, we're going to see this be a game where Oregon goes, Washington State just can't stop us on the ground. And I, I think they're going to run the ball very effectively. I think you're going to see a mix of Riddell, Dye, and Habibi Lakio in this game. I think they're all going to have their moments. And I think it's going to be a big running game. I wouldn't be surprised if they get close to 300 yards rushing in this game. Uh, I think – Part of what sets up that long touchdown pass, maybe that's a play action pass where it's the first play of a drive and you fake the handoff and Oregon's just been gashing you on the run and so all of everybody for Washington State's all up in the box and Herbert goes over the top to, again, insert wide receiver X here, uh, and it's a long touchdown pass because of how well they've run the football. And I think that's going to be a big part of this is just their, their success on the ground is going to set a lot of things up and it's going to be a game where Oregon, I think, runs for a lot of yards, and I think that's going to pace the way uh, in this win. Going back to the offensive side of the football for me, I think Cyrus Abilakio for the fourth straight game gets a career high in carries and also a career high in rushing yards. He he had a, a really good game last week at Washington State. Uh, I think it was 81 yards rushing the football, and then I think, what was it, 14 carries? Correct. Uh, for, for him against the Cougars, against the Huskies. I think those numbers go up on Saturday against the Washington State Cougars. I also don't think he leads the team in rushing yards though. I think oh. some, I think CJ or Travis, one of those two guys is gonna, is gonna break off a really big run. I think Cyrus is gonna be the, the, the bell cow. He's gonna be the workhorse, do all the dirty work. And I think, I think Verdell or Die, they're gonna rip off a long touchdown run, uh, to kind of blow the game open. You, you say Cyrus is going to be the workhorse. Do you expect he gets the first snap? Do you think he starts? Ooh. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, I don't know. It, I, it, it could go. It's a total it's, guess. I'm just guessing. Yeah, I know. It's a guess. I, I don't know either. Uh, I, I, I think he's earned the right to start the yes. opening series. He's also a player, and, and we didn't really talk about it much this week, who, who committed to Washington State out of high school and then flipped to Oregon kind of late in the process. So some history there. Maybe that would be uh, something. I have my third one here is also – uh, running game related. I think all three running backs score touchdowns in this Ooh. game. Uh, I, I think Cyrus has been in the end zone three straight games. CJ's had a couple touchdowns this year. Travis Dye has not scored a touchdown in the passing game or the running game. Right. Uh, I think he finds a way to get in the end zone. I'm not saying that these are all rushing touchdowns. I'm just saying those three players each get in the end zone. It could be a pass. It could be a run. Uh, again, I think the running game is, is a big part and a big component of, of the offense on Saturday, and I think all three guys uh, find pay dirt. Oregon is allowed, for my for my fourth one, Oregon is allowed just 19 points at home in four games this season. That's uh, a pretty remarkable stat. Uh, I think they've also, I know this for a fact, they've also forced 19 three and outs during those four games. Uh, I, I think the Ducks will, will tack on eight more three and outs in this football game against Washington State. I also think they'll allow more points than their previous four games uh, this weekend, however. Uh, I see Washington State scoring uh, and getting above the 19-point total. Um, I'm not going to say eight three-and-outs. That's ridiculous. That, that That's a typo. It, it should be uh, four three-and-outs. So it goes to 23. So I'm thinking four three-and-outs to 23 total at home. But I do think Washington State scores more than the 19 points that Oregon has allowed this season at home. I was going to object because I was thinking eight three and outs. Matt thinks this is going to be like a shutout or something. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 that that was a typo. That sh- that should not have. That was a mistake. Uh, on the defensive side, I've got a couple here. Uh, first, Anthony Gordon, like I said earlier, has had over 300 and I think 60 yards in all but one game this year. I think Oregon's going to become the second team to hold him under 300 yards. The only other team was Utah. Uh, a couple weeks ago, that was 252. I'm not sure Oregon holds him beneath that number, but I think he's going to be 
I think he's going to have a harder time than against most teams throwing the football. And they are so prolific doing so that maybe 300, under 300 maybe is a lot to ask for this defense. But I have a sense that this is going to be a game where, where Oregon does, uh, have some solutions for this really, really explosive passing attack. And yeah, I think under 300 yards for, for Anthony Gordon on Saturday. I'm sticking with the defense stat again. The Oregon defense will create three or more turnovers in this football game, and that will push the duck record under Mario Cristobal for when they get three or more in a football game to seven and one. Obviously, I'm picking Oregon to win. Uh, I think Anthony Gordon throws a couple interceptions. I think the Ducks get a couple fumbles uh, to fall their way. But I think three turnovers uh, is going to happen for this Oregon defense on Saturday night. I think that is going to be – a the reason and the big reason why uh, Washington State's the offense doesn't put up traditionally their 500-something yards of total offense game in and game out. My last one, uh, I think Oregon gets its second defensive touchdown of this season. Uh, they've had one this year. I believe it was Brady Breeze's fumble recovery against Nevada. Um, I think this is a defense that, like you said, has, has caused a ton of turnovers. I think there's going to be a pick six in this game. Um, I don't know who it's going to be, but I wouldn't be shocked if it's one of the corners. Like, it feels like Thomas Graham is just waiting for a big moment on a pick six or something like that, right? I mean, it just feels like he's around the ball so much that at some point it's going to happen for him. And, and with how prolific and how much Washington State throws the football, I just think there's going to be potentially a moment where somebody picks off the pass and goes the other way for points. All right, that gets us to our score predictions, Eric. You want to go first? Sure, I will. Let's see if we have the same one here. Uh, we, we seem to do that quite frequently. Uh, I have Oregon winning this football game. I think I've said that a couple times in the podcast already, so surprise. Shock! Breaking news! <laughs> uh, and I have them covering the spread, which I believe right now is 14. Um, yeah, 14 is where it's at right now, according to uh, Westgate. Uh, I have them covering the spread. I don't think it's going to be a Colorado-type blowout game, though. I have Oregon winning 42-24. Uh, 24 points is obviously more points than Oregon has allowed at home this season. You ran through that stat. It's more than they allowed, and I think, or about what they allowed in that six-game stretch there, or, uh, or five-game stretch, sorry, where they held up, I think it was 25 total points. I think 42-24, uh, like I said earlier, I think the run game paces it. I think the defense scores a touchdown. I think Herbert has a couple big plays in the passing game. And uh, it's enough to get past Washington State. I don't think this is going to be a game where Oregon is up, like, three touchdowns in the first half. I think this is going to be one they're going to have to work work towards, and it's going to be pretty competitive. And then in the second half, that run game is going to kind of wear Washington State down. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game where Oregon has, like, a six-and-a-half-minute 80-yard drive where it's just a bunch of runs, and Washington State just can't stop them, and they just move it down the field. Once again, you and I are very similar. Mm. Once again. Uh, I have the same score for Washington State, 24 points. I have seven more for Oregon. I think it's going to be a 49-24 game for Oregon. I think, like I said earlier, the three turnovers uh, that I that I think Oregon forces in this football game is going to be the difference. Basically, it, it's you know a couple drives are going to end earlier than they should for Washington State because of plays made by the Oregon defense. They get off the field. And Washington State's defense is nowhere near uh, the level that Oregon's is. And so while Washington State does score some points, they put up 24, uh, their issue is going to be that they can't keep pace with an Oregon offense that has a better rushing attack. Uh, like you said, they can pound the ball, chew up some clock. I think Justin Herbert will have a big game in this football game. I think the run game is going to be the focal point, but I think Oregon – passing game is going to have a sneaky good performance uh, in this in this game. Um, a lot of I think a lot of explosion plays for yeah. for Oregon's passing when they do throw the ball. I think it's going to be they're going to chew up a ton of yards when they throw. So I'm thinking a 49-24 victory. I I had it originally at 56, 24. I just I'm not there yet to say that Oregon's offense is going to you know put up a a 50 burger uh, against a Pac-12 opponent yet. I'm just not not there yet. Maybe this is a team though because this Washington State defense is not good. I was going to say if there's a game remaining on the schedule, probably aside from Oregon State, 
this would be the one where Oregon could score a lot because Washington State wants the game to be a shootout and they have a terrible defense. That's kind of similar to Oregon State and Washington State are kind of similar in that regard this year in terms of they want to score points because they know that they're going to have to outscore teams rather than stop teams because they just aren't good enough in that area. Um, this could be a game where, yeah, I could see Oregon scoring a lot of points. I think 56 feels a little high to me, but 42, that, that's, that's a lot of points to score. Yep. Uh, I, I think, I think they're going to get there and I think it's going to be, again, a game that Oregon gets to 5-0 and, and, and Pac-12 play and really puts the Pac-12 North on ice. I mean, we should talk about that for a moment. If they win this game, that's now four wins over Pac-12 North teams. That leaves Oregon State left. That means they'd have the tiebreaker on everybody besides the Beavers. And that sets you up for, I mean, gosh, it's, it's already pretty much a lock, but a win over Washington State, with the way the schedule plays out, where you, you play all your divisional rivals early, and then the back back ends a lot of uh, Pac-12 South teams, it sets up Oregon perfectly to, to win the conference, and, and especially to win the division, I should say. I think this is going to be a football game, and we'll, we'll wrap this podcast up, but I think this is going to be one in which there's going to be a lot of possessions just based off of Washington State's style of play offensively. Right. And then because they're bad defensively. Like, we, leg- we we could see quick strikes from Oregon's offense because of how bad the Cougar defense is. And, you know, six-play, two-and-a-half-minute drive where, they you know, four, four of those six plays are runs, but they get 50 yards on two passing plays. You know, and they score quickly. And then if, you know, if Oregon's defense plays up to, up to standard, you know, we could see a lot of three and outs or, you know, quick drives just because Washington State throws the ball. That's going to lead for incompletions. That's going to lead to the clock stopping, uh, and it just more opportunities to score. So I think that, that's kind of how I got to 49, 20, 24 is that I think there's going to be a couple extra possessions in this football game, uh, just because of the style of play that, that the Cougars play. Yeah, uh, I think it's it, it all kind of comes together for for Oregon in terms of just it's an opportunity to, to score some points. You know, early on in the season we were questioning this offense, but if if they do get to the numbers we're talking about, that's now three straight games over 35 points, and maybe that just speaks to the steps that Marcus Royal and this offense has made to to kind of get better. It's gonna do it for us on the Austin Audible's podcast for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Prame. Thank you for listening to the show, and we will talk to you guys soon. Adios, amigos.